Well, Serenity, this is your book. <laughs> I love that. See, it all comes together. And did you see that? It's it's the it's also called the book of equanimity, the book of composure, the book of encouragement, or composure and encouragement. I like so, that too. And it's really a big question about you know, in difficult times, what is serenity, what is equanimity? You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Yep. You know, like like we grew up thinking it was zoning out. Well, I didn't do that so much, but oh. <laughs> well, that that was a technique, certainly that some people use, right? Yeah. Uh -huh. And then and then using um, substances. Yes. To create those moods. Yeah. Even even meditation is sometimes used. Right. As right. an escape. This is exciting. It's a. a going to be a two-year journey. Um, the, the intro is 27 pages, and I'm not even sure if we can get through it in one time, but let's read it. <coughs> and then kind of the sequence that we had talked about of writing and the poem and the koan and all that will do after that, um, we'll, we'll start doing when we get, come to the koans. But hopefully, if we finish, we'll, we'll read the koan tonight. And if it seems like we need one more time for the introduction, we'll do that. Um, and just the one thing I wanted to say is, is the koans are all interrelated to each other. Just like um, Nelda and your work as an attorney, probably every, let's say, um, divorce case would be kind of linked to each other and each one kind of informs the other in a way. Would you say that's true? I would say that's true. Yeah. So, um, and I told you the story, maybe not all of you heard it, but um, Kosho, who was the priest at the Austin Zen Center was very bewildered by the koans. And so his teacher, Rev Anderson, said, copy by hand the entire book. This is the book we're, we're reading. And in the end, um, see what happens. And Kosho did that and like light bulbs went on because of how they informed each other. And um, In a course I took a long time ago on the koan, they talked about how this was all common knowledge, just like Shakespeare's stories were common knowledge. And actually I heard that the people in the Globe Theater didn't actually um, watch the play, but they like picnicked. 
you know, and they'd see it like we watch TV while we're sewing or or ironing or something. It was kind of, it was more like that because they knew the story so well that they didn't pay complete attention to it. So so anyway, not that we shouldn't pay attention, but um, these things are all woven together. So should we start? Let it begin. Okay, and um, let's read in alphabetical order, which is, um, you can look at the participant list. It's Cody and then Kim, and then Melissa, and then Melen, and then Nandia, and then Nelda, and then Serenity. Did I leave off anyone? I think Melen's before Melissa. Oh, I beg your pardon. I'm wrong, my dad. Um, you did leave me out, but I'm okay with that because I'm not able to be reading today. Okay, but welcome. I'm glad you're back. I'm glad to be back. I'm so sorry that I missed the ending of the book and all that. I wish I could have been here. Yeah, and the recording, it will be up. If it's not, I don't think it is yet, but it will be. Wonderful. Okay. Oh, and... And I had a lot of, um, of uh, thought about, should we record this, should we not? And I wrote to the teachers and Peg, and um, at the end of what I wrote, I said, you know, one of our sessions, I don't know who this is, let's see. Oh, hi, Trouty. I couldn't get on. Sorry, I'm late. You're, it's great that you're here. And okay. what I was just saying is, um, what was I just saying? How many people? Oh, that, that 130 people. Yeah, but if there's ever anything that that is said that you don't want in the recording, of course, you we, you can we can remove it. So uh, Trouty will come after Serenity. Okay, so Cody, yes, you're sir. first. So one, Book of Serenity. Book of Serenity, 100 Zen Dialogues, translated by Thomas Cleary, Chinese, bilingual, Chinese English Bilingual Edition. Kung Rong Lu. Japanese Shoyo Roku, Book of Serenity, Book of Equanimity, Book of Composure, Encouragement, Hermitage, Record Compiled, and commented on in, in 1223 by Hongzhi Jingwei, 1091 to 1157. One song, Jingju. 1166 to 1246, Japanese Wanshi Shogaku and Banshou uh, Jyoshu, Hudson, New York, Lindisfarne Press, 1990. 464 pages, Boulder, Colorado, Shambhala Production Publications, 2005, 512 pages.
Let's each read some of the names of the cases. So how about, there's about um, nine of us, so everyone does 11. I'll do the first uh, 11. The world honored one ascends the seat, Bodhidharma's emptiness, the invitation of the patriarch to Eastern India. Now, see if you can see any patterns or, or anything in common or anything like that. The world honored one points to the ground. Qing Yan and the price of rice. Mazu's white and black. Yeashan ascends the seat. Bizon's fox. Nanquan's kills a cat. The women of Peishen. Yunman's two sicknesses. And are we all okay if Trotty helps us with our pronunciation of the Chinese? Okay, Trotty, anytime I don't, you want. I don't know Chinese, I'm sorry. Oh, okay. <laughs> I hear it in the department, but. <laughs> we'll have to invite someone who can help us. I'll try to find someone. Okay, uh, next is Melissa. You're muted. Okay, so you got 211. Da Zhang, planting the fields. Lai Jin's blind ass. I know that's Linji. Oh, Linji, thank you. Uh, attendant, how uh, passes tea. He, yeah, I'm terrible with these names. Give me German and I'm good. Uh, Yang Shan plants his hoe. Magu, Magu shakes his staff. Bayan's hair's breath. Zazu's dog. Yanmin's Samaru. Um, da Zhang's nearness. And Yan, Yun, Yan sweeps the ground. Is that 11? Yeah, that's fine. And, and Malin? Um, Tu's bows, bow, bow and shout. Luzu faces the wall. Suefeng's look out for the snake. Young one's rhinoceros fan. Yang Shang points to points to snow. Fayan points to a blind. Who's three embarrassments? Feng Shu's Iron Ox. This, sorry, I'm just pronouncing it like Spanish. That Swiss 
aeonic fire, Union's pillars. I think that's it. Uh, Nandia, yeah. Yangshan's mind and environment, Sanchen's golden fish, Feng Shui's single atom, Luopu's acquiescence, Master Ma is unwell, Guishan's active consciousness, Linji's true man, Zhao Zhu's wash your bowl. Yunmen, Hubai, and Huhui. Lupo, about to die. Nanyang's water pitcher. Next. Goshan's arising and vanishing. Xingyang's Garuda. Four sections of the Enlightenment scripture. Ishan's completion of study. I don't know how many I've read so far. Xiaoshou's um, cypress tree. Bimalakirti's non-duality. Dongshan presents offerings before the image. Shuifeng's what? Fayan's boat or land. Have I done my? Great, thank you. We'll stop there. And now, uh, Serenity. Okay. Uh, Kaoshan's reality body, Wangbo's drag slurpers, Yunyan's great compassion, Shuifeng, the rice cook. Spiritual Uncle Me and the Rabbit, Yan Yang's Thing, The Diamond Scripture's Revilement, Ching Ling's Dead Snake, Iron Grinder, The Cow, Xian Fang's One, Mi Hu's Enlightenment or Not, Zhao Zhu's asks about death. Zizao's succession. Shushan's new bride. Zhu Feng's head and tail. And Trouty? I don't oh, see oh. anything. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm okay. On the, on the phone. Um, and okay. the book, my book is in, in my home and I'm somewhere else. Okay. Sorry. Okay. So then it's uh, Cody. The flower ornament, scriptures, wisdom. Zishan, swing of the sword. Nunquan's cows. Jinshan, ask about nature. Quion's eyebrows. Zhongyi's monkey, Chaoshan's fulfillment of filial piety, Feiyan's substance and name, Riyan's constant principle, 
Shao Shan's three phrases. Yang Shan's enough. Yan Min's sesame cake. Chang Sha advancing a step. Long Ya passes the brace. Uh, Yuan Cha comes to the district. Yunmin's sound and form. Uh, Dawu tends to sick. Judy's one finger. The appearance of the National Teachers Monument. Linji's great enlightenment. Sushan's existence and non-existence. The Suragama's not seen, Dongshan's no grass, Yangshan's declaration, Nanquan's peony, Yunmin's jewel, and we have Melissa. Sorry. Uh Lazu's not understanding. Dong Shan is unwell. Lin Ying, what one stroke? Ya Fang's uh, disagreement. Emperor Tan Tan Guang's hat. Dong Shan always close. Yun Yan Men's bowl and bucket. Long Gal, Long Guys, uh, Mountains and Rivers. Great. And then translator's introduction. So, does anyone see any um, anything with these titles? It, it seems like we have lots of dealings with animals, dead and alive. Common everyday. This thing. person's that. This person's that. Oh. And and then very common things, and then meeting with obviously people who are in I don't know if they're enlightened, but they're supposed to be somebody. Anything else? There are about common everyday things, a cow, a rice cooker, a rabbit, a sword. That's all I can see because you have only a little bit showing. A boat, nature, eyebrows, etc. a sesame kick. Almost like the name of children books. I mean, very common things. Very common things. Uh, as opposed to great enlightenment. I mean, existence and non-existence. Yes, that you don't have to be some great, knowledgeable, worldly person. Not worldly, but knowledgeable or to, to have contact with or knowledge of. Yeah. 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 Okay. Some are titles. And some are a person and a title. Like there's Juby's one finger. 
And then there are some that are just um, like this one, the, the appearance of the natural national teachers monument. But what struck me is that it's it's all a journey. I don't know how, but somehow that it made me think of stops along a journey or something. We'll something co common happens and then ordinary happens. And mm -hmm. then in the con, uh, there's a twist or movement. So I guess we'll see. Yeah. Okay. What I see is that the majority, I'm in class. The majority of things that are happening, at least by the title, are common everyday things from eating things to doing chores, taking care of your animals, living with one another. So it feels like it's very much everyday life, different things that people do on a daily basis. Anything else? Okay. So, Malin, I guess you get to start. Okay. The Book of Serenity is a classic text of chants in Buddhism, a vehicle of ancient knowledge said to go back to time in memorial and to have been originally transmitted from mind to mind. The continuity of sound transmission was fostered by periodic revisions and renewals in a body of special techniques and the knowledge subtending them. Many of these techniques are encoded in the Book of Serenity and the use of this kind of literature to help elicit certain perceptions is itself one of these techniques. The brand, the brand, you messing with me, Kim. The branch of ancient tradition that came to be known as Zen is customarily traced back in Chinese history to the late fifth and early sixth centuries CE and was approaching the end of its third overt major phase in China when the Book of Serenity was compiled. These three phases consisted of the era of the founders, sixth through eighth centuries, who worked to establish the principle of experiential, not internalization, internatization of knowledge. Is that a different word or is it misspelled? I don't know, but I am reading as okay, it says, thank you. internatization, which is a bit of well, a- Making an internal. So I don't know. Correct. Much yeah, like okay. internalization of yeah. knowledge against a background of excesses, excessive intellectualism, the era of the creative proliferation of different transmission lines with particular modes of presentation, 8th to 10th century, and the era of dramatic development of Zen literature and the refinement of the use of stories as a medium of teaching and practice. 10th through 13th centuries. The founding of Zen in China is traditionally attributed to Bodhidharma, 
who died in 535, an Indian yogin, but one of the founders of Zen in Japan. Dogen Zenji, 13th century, equates the Buddhism transmitted by Bodhidharma and that represented by the earlier Zhao, who died in the early 5th century. Zhao was an, an assistant of the famous Buddhist translator Kumara Jiva and a great author in his own right, is believed to have actually experienced absolute reality beyond intellect, and his superlative writing were highly esteemed and often quoted in classical Zen lore. Notably, Zen Zhao stated that absolute reality is beyond the grasp of concepts and therefore can only be experienced intuitively or mystically, not by the discursive intellect. In pursuit of this theme, he wrote that the special knowledge called prajna, gnosis, gnosis, sorry, in Buddhist terminology could not properly be called knowledge in the ordinary sense because it is objectless, comprehending no specific concrete thing, but rather the non-existence of inherent identity in objects of conventional knowledge. That's a pretty packed paragraph, isn't it? Yeah, yes. speaking of intellectualism. Miss Nelda, it's all you. Yes, I know, but I was waiting for Kim to move the page up. Oh, of course. So sorry. It's all good. Furthermore, Sang um, Shao discoursed on relativity and absoluteness in time, on the incomparable experience of direct perception and on the ultimate unity of all existence. He always maintained the limitation of words, however, and noted that any attempt to express the ineffable would inevitably be like setting up a target, inviting an arrow. His contributions to Chinese Buddhism made him one of the most highly regarded mystics of all times, of all time, and someone with whom the later Zen Buddhists felt a special affinity. That's me, right? The existence of Bodhidharma, the reputed founder of Zen in China, has been questioned by some scholars. Other scholars, however, find what appears to be evidence of the existence of at least one Bodhidharma, possibly two or more. Whatever the historical facts of the matter may be, Bodhidharma certainly exists as a symbol of the Zen tradition of the living exemplar the bearer of the mind-to-mind -mind transmission. His name, which means the religion of enlightenment, may be taken as a representative of the early emphasis of Zen on using Buddhism not as an object of knowledge, intellectualism, but as a means of knowledge, experimentalism, experientialism, sorry. According to Zen tradition, Bodhidharma only used one scripture in his Chinese teaching activity, the Lankavatara Sutra, which he judged to be the appropriate to the current state of Chinese civilization. This scripture is one of those used by the school of Buddhism known as yoga practice, yoga kara, or doctrine of consciousness. Wait. So, Trouty, anything you want to say? Wait. 
What? Yeah. Is that word Vig- last word is Vijnavada? Yes, Vijnavada. And your Vichara. Yes. Prati, is this anything you've run into about Bodhidharma? Uh, maybe there's one or two, or maybe never existed, or. Well, no, I don't, I cannot comment on that. I do not know. But I can read now while okay. uh, I was uh, fiddling around and I was able to set it up. Good. So I, is it the doctrine of consciousness? Yes. Is it my time? Yes. Yes. Okay, thank you. The doctrine of consciousness represents a quite pervasive threat in Buddhism that is not limited to any one school and very often used in Zen teaching. This doctrine presents the view that phenomena as we conceive and cognize them are not objective realities in themselves, but rather mental construction made of selected data filtered from an inconceivable universe of pure sense. To clarify this point, the doctrine defines three natures of phenomena, the imagined, the conceptualized nature, the relative or dependent nature, and the perfect nature. It is held that confusion of these three natures, particularly the habit of holding on to the imagined nature of phenomena as the real nature, inhibits the mind from the freedom and higher development of which it is potentially capable and restricts the range of experience available to the perceiver. The imagined nature of phenomena is said to be a representation, a description, which is learned and maintained through conditioning. The world as we know it is therefore looked upon in this teaching as a convention, a set of agreements, thus cultural and individual agreements and differences reach down to the levels of cognition and perception as anthropological and psychological research have reaffirmed in recent times. And forgive me, Trevor, I think the word was not imagined, but the imaged nature of phenomena. Where was that? A couple of times in the paragraph. I see. Well, I'm sorry. Um, I, the print is very small. <laughs> I know. I, I'm on the small phone. <laughs> I just thought for the recording's purposes, it would be. Uh, thank you. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Very astute. Thank you. According to the doctrine of consciousness, conventional reality the imagined nature of things, however important and indispensable for everyday life, and hence not to be abolished by yoga, is not, is not itself objective reality, 
and not the limit of the capacity of consciousness. To misunderstand its representational nature and hold to it fixed as true reality has a stunting effect on mental activity. For myriad examples of this effect might be such conditions as culture shock and associated misunderstandings or obstacles to learning behaviors such as foreign languages outside of pre-established thinking and thinking patterns. Thus, while the process of conventional description and organization of experience in terms of in terms mutually coherent to members of a community is by no means to be eliminated from the nature human repertoire of capacities being necessary for human life. The doctrine of consciousness recommends that it be recognized as mental representation and that the ability to transcend attachment to mental constructions be cultivated. This is said to allow the development not only of extrasensory perceptions, but of expanded and enhanced descriptive abilities to meet the evolutionary needs of society as well. Excuse me. Um, could you explain what you just read? No. Because I am so lost right now. Um, does anyone want to give it a, a go? Any any um, of this is you know it's dealing with different ways of thinking, different ways of dealing with uh, the world. The only I, one I can think of, um, Starlet, because I'll always remember this is this example. We call things by certain names, and the one example is we call a certain type of what we call a flower, we call it a rose. And we come to think of that rose as just being fixed in, in what it is, a certain smell, a certain shape, a certain whatever, color, height. But I was told that whenever someone asks us, what is that, that which we now call a rose, that rather than saying that is a rose, which fixes it like in a box, we should say, we call that a rose. So there's a difference between what we call things and what they really are. We don't really know fully what those things we've given names to really are, not fully. Did that make any sense, Starlet? Not really, but thank you for trying this. <laughs> One of the things, too, I, I think that, that it's saying is that the, what we're going to be reading was was fixed when it was written, but it, it, it should be looked at in the context of the culture you're already in, the context of the culture in which it was written, and how it affects what you perceive. Because what you perceive and what is perceived and what is may be very different and you should be open to that to the differences in how how it how this the koans are alive and work through time within the cultures that they're that they're in in modern day what i got out of it i don't know 
Well, I, I like that, um, what, would I, what I heard. I suppose the bottom line uh, here would be that we should not be so bound to apply names, especially um, if we want to get away from a conceptual uh, activity. As it says, thus while the process of conceptual description, and I cannot see now, and organization of experience in terms of mutually coherent, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So uh, really, this is trying to give us different ways of understanding or starting to work with that normally we rely so much on our conceptual conceptualizing. And part of it is the naming. But how does that relate to the part of extrasensory perceptions and every needs of society? It's not extra, extra, it's not that kind of perception. It's beyond, um, beyond senses. Yeah. It's not like we think of like, I don't know, minds connecting with minds or not, but it's, it's, yes, what just, what um, Kim just said, extra additional perception, not, yeah, extra sensory. All of you for for your input and your explanations. The only thing that I come up with is a rose is a rose is a rose. It doesn't matter the name given or not. It is what it is. And just concentrate on the is, I'm guessing. So, I don't know if I understand. What was it that Shakespeare said about roses? A rose <laughs> by any other name it's would smell as sweet. Yeah. Rose by any other name would smell as sweet. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay, the three things I remember. Who's reading now? Is, is it me or did I read? No, you didn't read yet. Okay, the practice of the practice of yoga now comes in as a means of actually making this attachment for mental construction a practical possibility. In order that this attachment not become nihilistic or otherwise aberrated, and that altered states of consciousness not merely be substituted as objects of fixation, the doctrine here introduces the principles of the relative and real natures of phenomena concealed beneath the conceptualized description. There are just so many ways of looking at something or understanding something. I think that's what they're trying to get at. And we need to release our conventional way of looking at things sometimes to see them in other ways. We're pretty conditioned. I agree. 
And we believe that that's the whole picture, whatever we, you know, however we're seeing something. Um, Which is a little bit of a problem about a rose of the rose because it's it's also everything else and nothing and everything. So most likely I'm going to be making the stupid remark of the night. But I'm <laughs> gonna, um, so for millennia, humans existed. And here comes Newton and realizes that the reason that an apple falls to the ground is gravity. So the thing is that he was able to look at reality and see something new in it that nobody had really seen before, but it had always been there. But he had the open-mindedness to accept that and explain it to everybody else, obviously. Um, so could that be what this is about, kind of? Well, I think, yeah, in, in the way of finding other ways of looking at things. Without it going, without looking into whatever it is we're looking into, thinking that we know everything about it. Right. That's one of our big shortcomings, isn't it? Thinking we know the answer, we know, like you just said, know everything about it. We know yeah. so little. So true. So true. Okay, now I'm following. Thank mm -hmm. you. Kind of like the Van Gogh back here, it's, it's perceived differently. And once you perceive it differently, it feels different, it looks different, and it may give you a different message even mm -hmm. though it's a picture of trees and the sky. Well, isn't that specifically what a koan is? When we first read it, it's just a sentence or two that has the meaning of whatever is written, but then as we experience it and think about it, we see extra meanings mm -hmm. that we didn't see there before as we live with it? I think definitely. Yeah. yeah. What is interesting to me is how it, it this paragraph is depicting or the full text is depicting the past for um, abstract to experience based on consciousness. And uh, historically, how it says how yoga has uh, made that linked in, in history, because I'm assuming this has to do with the cons, <laughs> like how they compress and abstract um, representation or objects that then consciousness can go and grab, but it is an abstract thing. That is what I'm getting. Very nicely said. Melissa, are you reading now? I, I am reading now. I just wanted to make sure we were, okay. our discussion was. The relative or dependent nature is the nature of phenomena as products of interactions of con and 
products of interactions of conditions. A generalized example of this commonly used, this commonly used for illustration is the intersection of sense faculties, sense consciousness, and sense data. This is the raw material of the selection and organizational process of mental construction. Since the facilities, consciousness, I think it's faculties, is it in faculties? Okay. Yeah, you are correct. Okay. Since the faculties, consciousness, and data cannot be apprehended in themselves outside of their mutual relationship, there is no way of grasping their objective nature. So it's interrelationship, right? Mutual interrelationship. Oh my gosh, yes. Um, I don't know if I've told everybody, but I am dyslexic, so sometimes okay. it doesn't work, and I have no problem being corrected. Okay, good. Their existence as individual elements, therefore, boils down to a description, a relation of mind and mental object. Hence, the principle of the real nature of phenomena states that the imagined nature has no objective reality in the relative nature. This is what is sometimes called emptiness. Oh, wow. So now we have an example, finally. Yes, Thank can goodness. you just go back a little bit just to reread the last sentence? The last sentence. Hence, the principle. Honestly, this paragraph here could be like one could sit and contemplate, meditate on that for quite a while. <laughs> this paragraph. Two years. Yeah. Okay. Hence, the principle. It is. Yeah, it yeah, is. She, she wanted. Like she it. wanted to hear it again. If you go back up. Just I'll try to read it carefully. Leave it there for a moment. Okay. Hence, the principle of the real nature of phenomena states that the imagined nature has no objective reality in the relative nature. This is what is sometimes called emptiness. Mm -hmm. That's pretty powerful. Mm -hmm. A classic smile is that wait a simile. It's so simile. Yeah. Simile. Like similitude? What is that? A simile like a metaphor. It's it's a mm -hmm. it comparison using like or as is a simile. Simile. Mm -hmm. A classic simile is that of a red light painted on a clear crystal, making it, making it look like a ruby. The red light represents the imagined or conceptualized nature imposed in the relative nature represented by the crystal. The real nature is non-existence of actual rubiness in the crystal. Reflections of this doctrine are to be found, though, 
throughout throughout that's okay. right then lore lore and one of the major functions of zen stories is to help to see throughout and break up mental fixations there's a typo i hope so yeah the la the lan Kavatara Sutra likens the perceived world to waves in the ocean of consciousness. To get to know the real nature of things as they are in the state of suchness or thusness, unpredicted reality, it is essential to still these waves of consciousness. The practice of methods of silencing the mind to see reality without the imposition of conditioned representation is well known in Zen Buddhism. This posed a drawback, however, which is also well represented in both Zen literature and in the writings of outside observers. From the external point of view, the drawback was that this exercise of quiescence gave the appearance of quietism, preventing understanding of the true scope of Zen action. Within Zen schools, emphasis on stilling the mind also led some to regard it as a goal, and successful stilling led some to re remain fixated on tranquility, vitiating their capacity for further progress. Very highfalutin language. In both cases, the problem was one of confusing the means with the end. This confusion and its consequences are referred to repeatedly in Zen and other Buddhist lore throughout the ages. And this reader is quite sure it will pop up in the koans. Little is known of the early Zen school in China, but in the record of a disciple of Bodhidharma's successor, we can observe the emphasis on the Lankavatara Sutra and the doctrine of consciousness, as well as hints of future directions in Zen practice. The mind seal of the founding teacher is not a matter of concentration or ascetic practice which is merely an aid to the path. If you merge with the fundamental mind and make free use of its true light, then ascetic practice is like picking up earth and turning it into gold. But if you only work on ascetic practice and do not clarify the fundamental mind, thus being bound by aversion and attraction, then ascetic practice is like walking on a dangerous path on a dark night. If you want to clarify the fundamental mind, you should examine carefully in the midst of sense impacts before you produce thought and reflection, where does the mind go? Is it non-existent? Is it existent? Not falling into being or non-being or into any fixed location. The mind peril shines alone. I've never heard the word mind peril. If it's supposed to be pearl. 
<laughs> okay. I don't know. Yes. <laughs> Mine pearl shines alone. It always shines on the world without a particle of obstruction, without an instant of discontinuity. Therefore, our founder also handed on the Lankavatara scripture and said, and said to my teacher, I guess, as I see China, only this scripture can be used to seal the mind. If you practice in accord with it, you will be able to cross over the world. Also, whenever my teacher finished lecturing, he would say, this scripture after four generations will turn into literalism and formalism. What a pity. Yeah, we see that in other religious, in, in other spiritual and religious practices, don't we? And with all kinds of things where, where someone's investigating something and then it becomes doctrine. Mm -hmm. Rather than just wondering, how will this work out? For several generations after Bodhidharma, a Lankavatara school centered on the teachings of this scripture did indeed continue to be active and was later identified as an offshoot of the original Zen school. While emphasis on the Lankavatara Sutra itself was not prominent in the teaching of the Zen school by the time it came to public attention in the seventh century, nevertheless, the doctrine of consciousness remained very much in use in Zen, particularly through certain formulations of the Avatamasaka Sutra, another major scripture often used in Zen teaching. A younger contemporary of Bodhidharma, the famous Mahasattava, great saint, Fu, is another figure of prominence in the traditions of early Zen Buddhism. Some of his sayings remain favorites of later Zen practitioners. One of those unusual people whom Zen tradition refers to as responsive manifestations, who are not known to have received teaching from a human mentor, but were enlightened through inspirations resulting from their practices. Mahasattava Fu was a philanthropist with a considerable following that included his wife and children, as well as other relatives. I lost the text. <laughs> Can you hear me, please? Yes, yes. I don't know what to do. Should we okay. go on to the next person? Yes. Where we are. Sometimes sweeping from left to right. Does that help on a phone? Trouty? Oh, yes, it came up. Okay, good. So uh, it would be a literate farmer? Yes, yes. A literate farmer, Fu, expounded Buddhism to the Emperor Wu of the, and that's covered up by you, okay, of the Liang dynasty, 
And the record of his sayings and deeds is one of the richest sources of teachings surviving from among the early adepts, perhaps the most famous of his utterances prized in Zen tradition in his verse, empty-handed, holding a hoe, walking, riding a water buffalo. Man is crossing a bridge. The bridge, but not the river flows. The first two lines illustrate the familiar theme in developed Buddhism of being in the world without clinging to things of the world, employing ways and means without becoming possessively attached to them. The second two lines illustrate the contrast between objective and subjective reality. Thusness, naked reality without the screen of mental construction is in flux as a river, but does not really change. In that it is always as is. The mental structures used in crossing over the world, on the other hand, that is, the viewpoints, conceptions, and interpretations are rooted in subjectivity and undergo fluctuations, fluctuation and change, even if they are fixed from their own point of view. This is interesting. Even if they are fixed from their point of view. Excuse me, could you read it again from his very famous koan, and okay. the of it, please. Yes. Um, you need to go a little bit higher, Kim. There we go. You, you would like to hear the empty-handed? Yes, please. Empty-handed, holding a hole, walking. Okay, so that would be the first line. Walking, riding a water buffalo. Second line, man is crossing a bridge. Third line, no, maybe not. Um, okay, so empty-handed, holding a hoe, walking, riding a water buffalo. That should be probably the first line. Man is crossing a bridge. The bridge, but not the river flows. The first two lines. Um, please also read the paragraph after that. Well, Cody's starting to do that, so that's great. Sorry, thank you. The first two lines illustrate the familiar theme in developed Buddhism of being in the world without clinging to things of the world, employing ways and means without becoming possessively attached to them. The second two lines illustrate the contrast between objective and subjective reality, thusness. Naked reality without the screen of mental construction is in flux as a river, but does not really change. In that, in, in that it is always as is. The mental structures used in crossing over the world 
On the other hand, that is the viewpoints, conceptions, and interpretations are rooted in subjectively and undergo fluctuation and change, even if they are fixed from their own point of view. The realistic approach, according to this teaching, therefore, would be to recognize the functional value of structures as tools and vehicles, but to also recognize their temporary nature and refrain from attachment to them, even while using them. This permits contact with wider reality and freedom to adapt to changing conditions without the impediment of clinging to the familiar or habitual for its own sake. Thus, in one single verse, Mahasattva summed up a central issue of Buddhism. How do you guys feel about, do you want to go on or do you want to stop here and take it up again next week? Go on. Go on. Go on? Yes. Okay. Okay. Since we have two, we have to do this for two years, but it's not going to be like this for two years. I promise. Oh, darn. We don't have to. We want to. Okay. Okay. Uh, oh, I guess I'm reading. <laughs> Mahasatta, who is not associated with a particular, a particular lineage, but is believed to have received the transmission from reality itself through the medium of certain experiences. Bodhidharma, on the other hand, is said to have started the unbroken Zen transmission in China. Among his four enlightened disciples was one Huki, also known as Sang John, who is known as the second patriarch of Zen. Traditions represents one of the main techniques of Zen meditation in the form of a story about Kuki's enlightenment. He asked Bodhidharma to pacify his mind, which Bodhidharma agreed to do once Huki brought his mind to him. On inspection, Huki said, when I look for my mind, I cannot find it. To which Bodhidharma replied, I have pacified your mind for you. This exercise of looking for the mind is an important method common to a number of schools of Buddhism. It appears in various guises and stories designed to foster this special focus of attention. An impossible task per se, it has the function of inducing non-reifying consciousness and is useful in freeing the mind from its clinging habits of thought. I mean, that's what I see as this whole practice is, is that last line, freeing the mind from its clinging habits of thought. You know, what other ways can I think about this than the ordinary way? Huki was caught up in the tide of a government persecution of Buddhism and was eventually laicized? Not sure. You know, it Lacized. sounds like laicized or something, like to become a, a lay person. Uh-huh. It Do you does. Have a way of looking that up, Kim? 
I don't, but I don't think I do. Let me try. But uh, maybe someone else who's at a computer can can do that. If, if let's see, there's not a dictionary. Oh, look up selected word. How's that? To remove the clerical character or nature of secularize to laitize the school to lay. So it is. It is to become a lay person as opposed to a priest or a monk. Good. Thank, thank you, Kim. And thank you, Anelda, for asking. Oh, thank now, you. Now we know we can do it <laughs> from a PDF. I didn't realize that. Good. Uh, uh, was eventually laicized, never to return to monastic orders. He was 10. He has. Oh, sorry. He has 10 enlightened disciples four of them laymen, and after entrusting the teaching to a successor, he is said to have immersed himself in city life, working at various menial jobs as he continued his self-development in secret. One source has it that he went to the city after receiving the Zen transmission from Bodhidharma in order to test his concentration and stability. Like Bodhidharma, Hyuki's teaching, which was free from academic pedantry, uh, aroused the opposition of established interests in the Buddhist monasteries, and he died. He died through an intrigue. Uh, one of, one of, he died one through an intrigue. What, what does that mean? It sounds very sort of like uh, mystery theater to me. Well, they, they don't know. Yeah, under mysterious, mysterious circumstances. circumstances. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Yes. Yep. So there was a lot of uh, conflict between the academics and between the Zen people. How we hold to our ways. <laughs> the one among his disciples who is known as his principal here. Air. And her. It's, it's pronounced air, like A-I-R. It's the, the, the people who come from you. Okay. Thank you. And called the third patriarch of Zen is believed to have associated with the teacher during a period of seclusion in the mountains. This man, Zenkan, is reputedly the author of the famous poems, Faith in Mind, which has been one of the most popular Zen classics throughout its known history. And you know, that's the Sing Ching Ming that we read. Oh. Oh. Also, trust in mine is another translation. This poem emphasizes the middle way in which there is neither grasping nor rejection, 
neither inclination nor aversion. In practice, this involves neither pursuing mental objects nor remaining fixed on voidness, not trying to stop the mind to gain peace, yet not allowing perceptions. Senkan recommends not fixing the mind on anything, but not sinking into oblivion either. If you want to attain the one vehicle of enlightenment, he says, do not be averse to sense data. Sense data are not bad, he explains. They are the same as true awakening. Excuse me, what is sense data? Oh. It's what the comes information. via the senses. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> Thank you. Anything that we know in the world, anything, everything comes via our senses, everything. Especially because in Buddhism, we count the mind as the sixth sense. So that, that's an important, and it, it's the, the initial um, thoughts, not the things that we mull over, but that, that first thought that we have about things. Like we hear a loud noise, and so we have the thought, uh, you know, bullet or something. So it's very quick. But that's all sense data. So basically, even though here he's saying about looking at the world without really thinking you know everything and be open to new knowledge that you can acquire through meditation and observation. At the same time, it is also saying whatever data comes from your senses, you have to believe it too. It's part of it. It's you not have, just the you, have, you have to weigh it in, not believe it, but not reject it. it. Not reject it, but not fully accept it. If someone says, I don't like you, that may be true. Or that may be that you actually remind them of someone else or some other experience that has nothing to do with you. So, so yes, it's a... No, it's, that's, it's, not, that's not what I was meaning. I was meaning from what you get, the data sense from touching, hearing, smelling, seeing, that's the type of data sense I was thinking this was about. Yeah, but not to be averse to it, but also not to believe that it's the final, the yeah. whole picture. It, it, what I'm, okay, you guys are not in my head, obviously. <laughs> but what I'm saying is that I was thinking about Aristotle as we were reading all of it, but this is the difference between Aristotle and Buddhism. Because Aristotle rejected what came from the data senses. It could only be what he thought, but this is different. This is taking everything into account. Yes, I believe so.
Would you like me to go on? Sure. No, I'm just noticing that in the book itself, there's not the misspelling of the word poem. I was just curious. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. Kim, will you please scoot the page up a bit so that more of that pair? Thank you. Thank you. The entire poem is in this vein and stresses the ultimate non-duality of the realm of illusion and the realm of enlightenment and the difference lying in the mind itself. The deluded discriminate the two realms conceptually and try to reject one and to grasp the other, thus creating their own bonds, while the enlightened have no artifices so that they do not imagine enlightenment apart from direct experience. This teaching tallies with the tenet of the doctrine of consciousness that states that sense experience is itself the matrix of enlightenment and non-enlightenment is pure fiction whose only binding force is its habitual repetition. You know, someone in orientation on Sundays talked about how they wanted to be enlightened. And, you know, as opposed with this idea that I think we talk about more of, of we are already enlightened and we just need to discover it. So for me, that's the fiction of enlightenment is, of non-enlightenment is that it exists as opposed to to uh, enlightenment just not being discovered. And then also the idea is nice, I think of enlightenment as an activity, enlightening rather than a thing. Through the very senses that can also delude us. And it's so interesting that yeah. it's a gateway for either of those things and others. Contemporary of Senken was the meditation master and scholar Zi Yi. Although not figuring in the Zen transmission chains emphasized from the 9th and 10th centuries onward, nevertheless, he is listed as a Zen master in the model Zen history transmission of the lamp. One of the most important figures in Chinese Buddhism, this 6th century adept is also known as the founder of the Tiantai school of Buddhism, a comprehensive school of study and practice said to have an important impact on the development of early Zen. <clears throat> Shall I continue? Uh, Trouty, are you there? We seem to have lost Trouty. Um, so after Serenity is Cody. Where are we at? A number of... Yeah, yeah. J's schemata are mentioned in the transmission of the lamp, along with their cor correlates in Indian tradition. Fundamental to his system was the principle of three levels of truth. Conditional, absolute, and mean. The conditional or artificial level of truth is also called conventional reality, referring to the everyday world. 
The truth of it, however, is that all phenomena are conditional, meaning that they have no absolute existence or identity. This insight introduces the level of emptiness called the absolute truth, meaning that conditional phenomena have no independent being. Thus, the meditation proceeds from contemplation of conditionality into the contemplation of emptiness, therefore fostering detachment from objects. This, the next stage is to reemerge from emptiness <coughs> into the conditional, whereby temporal knowledge, skillfulness, and compassion are developed. And then I think Melissa. Yeah, no, it's me. I just, you, you moved the page, so now I'm not sure where I am. At Finally, the top. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Finally, going back and forth between focus on the conditional and focus on the em its emptiness, the practitioner arrives at the mean or middle way, realizing that things are neither absolutely existent nor absolutely non-existent. They can be experienced, but not grasped. In the middle way, one harmonizes detachment and identification, transcendence and involvement, wisdom and compassion. So this could be the, that paragraph could be the intention of Quarns, right? going back and forth between focus and the conditional and focus on its emptiness. And also uh, kind of like a spaceship taking us from the, the world that we normally perceive to this other place. Mm -hmm. I have a question. I see that it is pairing opposites, detachment and identification, transcendence and involvement, but it's also saying that wisdom and compassion are opposites. Why is that? Why do you say that? I don't see that. It says harmonize all these things. So they're not opposites, but it puts them together. Well, um, I thought the meaning of those words that are paired were opposites to one another. You see what I mean? So it harmonizes. Oh, I don't see it as opposites, but things that are normally not uh, touching but now are well that's my thing why are wisdom and compassion not normally touching i thought they would be oh charlotte i i think because of the way he structured the words starting out with these comparisons detachment identification uh, transcendence, involvement, 
that yes, the mind would go to transcendence and involvement or, or they're not necessarily opposite though. You can transcend and be involved. You can, um, yeah, but, but I see where you're coming from. I really do, Starlet. I see how you could have gone to that. I think he's just saying all of those things are harmonized. In a, all of those things are brought together in a harmonized way. It's more like wisdom. Wisdom is like the big mind and compassion could be the small mind. I, I always thought that kind of, if it would have said knowledge and compassion, I wouldn't be raising this question. But I always thought that wisdom came with compassion. Well, that's in the in the in the best of all possible world. I mean, that's what we hope. But I mean, it's said that uh, Buddhism is about you know two wings and one of them is wisdom and one of them is compassion and that in order to be really to 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 grasp the extent one can't lean into just one or just the other but there needs to be a balance of the two and we we use the phrase wisdom beyond wisdom which is really the wisdom that's being spoke of here Okay. I'm just well, thinking of of the discussion about whether you should give to a homeless person. Wisdom might be in, in the in the worst sense might say, "Oh, well, if you give to them, then they're not going to work," or something like that. And compassion would be, "Oh, they're starving. I need to give to them." You know. So, but putting these two together um, really gives us a broader picture. Thank you for everybody's input. I really it, I think this is a good stopping point, don't you? Especially since it's 8.30. Yes. <laughs> so I hope this is okay for everyone. I really liked it, even though I certainly there's so much beyond me. You and me both. It's beyond. <laughs> Seriously, this is wow. Above my pay grade. How much is left for the introduction? Much. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> we're on page eleven. Okay, we're at the help. Yeah, I think we're getting to more and more. Um, well, actual, there's some more, you know, there's, anyway, it's a little, maybe easier going, a little more fun, little stories, more. But this is really important stuff, I think, in terms of getting the koans, getting closer to them. Yeah. I found it very rich. Oh, good. I love it. So I don't know uh, who who did. Oh, that must be Thomas Cleary who did the because he's the translator who, who's written this. Who's also, I believe, a poet. Yeah. 
Do you mean that he wrote the this introduction? He wrote this introduction that we're reading, yes. It says translator's introduction. I have to leave. Good night. Thank you very much. Okay. Thank you, everyone. Good night. Good night. Thank Good night. you. Good night. Thank you. Good night.